This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Dare to Dream Physician podcast. I'm so glad that you're back listening. Last week, we had part one of this interview with Dr. Mitra Ayazafar. She is an ophthalmologist and oculofacial surgeon and owner of Capital Eye Medical Group in Northern California. She is also a courageous survivor of ovarian cancer, recently celebrating seven years. I'm just so amazed by her story. I'm so honored to be able to have the chance to share this on my podcast. And if you haven't listened to the last episode, episode 30, Facing the Unexpected, I highly encourage you to add that to your queue so you can listen after this episode. She is just simply an amazing human being, and she shares her experiences growing up in Iran, immigrating to the U.S., becoming a surgeon, and facing an unexpected diagnosis at the height of her ophthalmology career. In this episode, there is a part where Dr. Mitra shares her experience as a patient and the treatments and medical decisions that she made on her own. I want to make it clear that even though Dr. Mitra and I are both physicians, we are not your physicians, and the information shared here is solely her personal experience and is part of her story. And she has an absolutely beautiful story. So if you are looking for medical advice, we encourage you to seek the expertise of your physician for your individual situation. And we're picking up from where we left off last time, where Dr. Mitra just had a surgery that she was hoping would just be a biopsy. And the surgeon comes into the room to talk to her as she's coming out of recovery. And of course, it was several hours later when I woke up and I'm in the recovery, I'm in the room and the surgeon comes in and all I hear is cancer, ovarian cancer. And then I didn't hear anything else. Everything else is just, burr, 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 burr. I'm still trying to absorb that. It is so strange that we take history as physicians, we take history, we write down, oh, okay, so you had breast cancer, so you had colon cancer, so you had da 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 da. And it's just a word, but once you hear it and you know, you realize, oh my God. First thing I thought, I was like, why me? I take good care of my patients, I take great care of my patients. I know more than what's going on as far as their eyes. I connect with them. I do all of these. Why me? I was for lack of a better word, pissed. <laughs> but then I thought, and once I recovered and realized that I was supposed to have recovering from the surgery was essentially nothing as compared with having, having to go through the chemotherapy. So I had to go through 18 sessions of chemo and they had decided my oncologist who is very good with, or has a lot of experience with ovarian cancer. He had decided to do a high dose and the type of chemo 
was one that could affect, could cause neuropathy. And I thought, hmm. So as I'm doing these sessions in the beginning, I'm thinking, okay, what will I be if I can't be a surgeon? Because we, it's almost, I wasn't sure who I would be. So I had to think a lot and <laughs> think about, okay, plan, plan B. First of all, what if I don't make it, right? But just going through, getting through the chemo, I didn't want to have the side effects. So I didn't want to lose my ability to operate. I didn't want to not be able to be useful the way I want to be useful. But the, the thing that kept me up at night, I remember after I had the surgery was, was worrying about my kids. And I think they were, my son, I think was in fifth grade and my daughter was maybe, maybe they were fourth grade and seventh grade, just finishing seventh grade. I kept thinking, what if I, I'm not here to see them graduate, graduate from, from eighth grade, graduate from fifth grade, graduate from high school, watch them get married, watch them graduate college, all of these milestones that I've lived my whole life to, to try and be able to be here to do it. So that was the hardest thing for me, thinking about that. It wasn't that, oh, you're going to lose your hair. It wasn't, it wasn't those things. It was not being able to be here for the things that give me so much joy, which is them. Mm, wow. Wow. And so what was this period of time? So you, you got, you had the, this biopsy or the surgery that turned into the, the few hour long surgery. And then you got the diagnosis of ovarian cancer. And it sounded like there were many rounds of chemo and, and going through those things. How long was this process so the chemo would be every week as long as my, for 18 sessions. So 18 weeks, if I could do it continuously. But of course, most of the chemos, they either drop your platelets or drop your white blood cell count. And for me, it was the white blood cell count. But I was actually lucky that I was able to go through nine sessions back to back without having to take a break. And I think I took you know, one break between the nine and 10th session and maybe another break between 13 to 14. And then beyond that, I think I was okay. So, but I remember having these infusions that would last three, four hours coming home when I was doing the infusions. So one of my nurse, one of the oncology nurses told me, you can put your hands in a bucket of water when you're doing the chemo. So there's not as much blood flow and maybe you won't some people say that you won't get as much neuropathy. And I thought, I'm on it. I'm not going to put my feet in it for four hours, but I'll put my hands in it. And so that's what I was doing. I was getting the chemo. So of course you can't fall asleep, putting my hands in this bucket of ice, taking it out just to be able to feel it again and putting it back in. That was, that was my routine. And then I would come home. Thankfully, I didn't have a major issue with nausea or things like that. So I was lucky that way. But then I would come home and of course I have no taste buds, but what I did want was sushi, not raw. I knew I couldn't have raw, but I wanted sushi. From, there's a place here called Makuni. That's what I would want. And so my kids and, and their dad would go and get me that because I would sleep for two hours on the couch, wake up. And that's what I would want. And then I did 
my brother was very instrumental in trying to come up with more natural ways of perhaps boosting up the immune system and, and the healing the body from the chemo. And so he was very adamant for me to do IV vitamin C. So I was doing mega doses of IV vitamin C in between the chemo sessions. So I would have chemo on, I think on Thursdays, but then I would do IV vitamin C in the beginning. I was do it, doing it three times a week. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would get IV vitamin C through my port. And I did that continuous. I think I slowed down to maybe twice a week towards the end, but I was so afraid to not do everything that I possibly could just to, you know, be able to get through it. And then one of the most important things to me was to feel like I have a normal life still. I have some semblance of a normal life. So obviously I was not working. When I was about to start the chemo, I told my work in Grass Valley that this is what's happened. And they had no idea because I was operating a week after I had my surgery. And so they said, yeah, take as much time as you, as you need. And so when I was going through chemo, I had the option of resting up. I didn't have to worry. My husband was working at the time. And so I had the choice to take care of myself during that time. And it's amazing how many people that are around you, it's amazing how they are shuffled in your circle. Because some people that I thought I could count on forever, it was not necessarily true. They just didn't know what to do or what to say or, you know, how to be there for me. And then people that I wouldn't have even expected to do anything, they would bring meals to the house because they knew, obviously, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't cook, but they would bring whole meals, you know, for us and the kids and a couple that. I remember that they're still in this area, obviously. And I always, I talk to them constantly and I tell them how thankful I am for both of them. But the husband would make sure, because I wanted to continue my spin classes. So he was at the same spin studio. We would go first thing in the morning when there were very few people around. And I would tell him, hey, Chris, can you just make sure that while I'm on the bike, if, if you see me wobble, just straighten me out. So that was his job. And then his wife, Michelle, was so amazing. She, because I had all this anxiety that I was telling you about almost every single night. And I said, Michelle, can you please, she was great with meditation and yoga and all of that. I said, I'm not doing yoga, but if you can help me with meditation. And so she would get the keys to the, you know, kickboxing slash taekwondo studio that we were all a part of. And we would go there like on a Sunday morning when there was nobody around. And she would just do this almost like hour long meditation session for me, just to, for me to be able to do some breathing and just learn how to deal with the anxiety. And I will be forever grateful for them forever, forever. Wow. So you, you found that the meditation to be helpful for, for dealing with the anxiety that that was really the existential anxiety of, of dealing with a very serious illness. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because whenever you, it's interesting because when you, when I was asking about, well, I have all this anxiety, this and that, and they would, they were nice enough to set up a session with a psychologist to which they had for all the, you know, oncology patients. And 
I think the only thing that I was getting from that is medication, you know, that they suggested medication. Well, at night, take Xanax. And I thought, well, how long am I supposed to take that? Because I have surgical menopause all of a sudden. So now I can't fall asleep. But if I take that medication to fall asleep, then how long am I supposed to continue that? And I know I'm going to get addicted to it. So that's not a long-term thing. So there's, I think there, I like this whole, almost like a whole life approach to cancer. I think it's so important for, for meditation to be a part of it, for nutrition to be a big part of it, IV vitamin C to be a, just a normal part of the treatment for cancer patients. I think it's huge, but I don't think it's well accepted. When I started getting neuropathy in my feet, because remember, I wasn't putting that in ice bucket of water. I said that to my oncology nurse and she said, I just saw a study about doing acupuncture for neuropathy. That's it. I was on it. And I think I did six or seven sessions and thankfully it went away. But all of this should be an approach to, to treatment of, of cancer patients or patients in general, mm, you know? Yeah. So I was very lucky, very, very lucky. Wow. I have so many questions for you. As you, what, one of the things I said in one of my earlier episodes about life planning is how when something, something unexpected or something very serious happens in our lives, it gives us so much more clarity about what we want out of life and maybe the things that we didn't even think about were important all of a sudden became important. And, and, you know, your story and your journey is, is exactly the type of experience that I was thinking of. And I'm so curious to hear about now that you're seven years out of this experience, I, I, I just love to hear your reflections on how this very serious, scary, anxiety provoking illness, how that changed the way you approach life. So that's a great question. So I think when I reached out to you, I was listening to your podcast and it was, so I listened to the first one. The second one was about what is life planning? And you were being talking to another person basically interviewed to describe what life planning is. And you went about and uh, talked about it. And at one point you said, it's, it's, I'm amazed that yeah, I see this in cancer patients or people who have had a life scare, basically, or a mm. death scare. And they just have this energy for life or they look at life in such a way. And I was driving and I thought, oh my God, that's exactly right. Because if I, my, my outlook on life is obviously extremely, my outlook on so many things is so different. Mm. But I think what cancer does or something like this, if you're willing to take the lessons, learn the lessons from it. I think what it what it did for me, at least, is it solidified how short my time here is as a human being. Even if I even if I live many, many years, but our time here is very short. And it made me think, how do I want to, how do I want to live this life? How do I want the the few days that I have left to be. We always, you're always pose that question when we're younger and we're like, oh, I want to do this. But no, really, 
when something like this happens, what do I really want to do? How do I want to be remembered? I would always talk to my daughter, especially about leaving a footprint. What kind of a footprint do I want to leave behind? What am I leaving behind? Who's going to miss me? And what difference am I making? And also it lets you be a little bit more brave. Maybe things that I would not have done before. Maybe things that I would have said, oh, I'll do that next year. Oh, I'll do that when this happens. Oh, well, joining the EBS school was definitely one of them where I'm like, well, I'm not at a place where I can really take it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Making the decision as far as who I want to be a life partner for me. How do I want to spend my days? Do I want to spend my days not really being appreciated or appreciating the life that I have? What do I want to do? So that's what kind of shuffled things, shuffled people in my life and shuffled my priorities. I think you and I both agree that we, we, I want to take care of my, my mom. Um, my, my dad passed away years ago, but he passed away in 2008. And he was the, <laughs> he was the social butterfly of the couple. My mom is always, has always been more reserved, not as outgoing, but she is also over years, she has lost her sight. So because of macular degeneration and glaucoma, and even though having had surgeries and injections and all kinds of things, she has lost her, lost her sight. And she is one of the most stubborn people I know, one of the most independent people I know. So I have been trying to convince her to come and live with me because I want to take, I want to take care of her. I want to make sure that everything that she's done for us, not just because of that, but because I want to take care of her because it's my turn. But just making the decision to do those things, make the decision, take a step forward and do all of those things. I think my relationship with my patients, if I had to put my finger on it, I can't tell you what it is that's changed. Because I've always taken care of my patients. My patients have always felt it. But I think now it's on a different level. And I'm not on the receiving end, but I can tell you just from the reaction that I get back, I get so much more satisfaction and I get so much more feedback from my patients. And I think I'm giving more of myself. I don't know what the difference is, but just from the from the feedback that i get from them some of the reviews that they've left for me i'm like wow really you you picked up on that it's not just she's she took care of me she's she's a great doctor but they they pick up on certain personality traits or things that i would not have thought about so it's unbelievable wow and 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 you mentioned about how as a result of of going through a serious life threatening event how it's sort of like even your relationships have shifted like you gave an example of how some people you thought would be there for you it's not maybe they wanted to be there but they just didn't know how to be there and how others you didn't expect them to be making such an impact on your life and and really came in at a time that you needed it I guess I want to learn a little bit more about that. And you also mentioned you're more brave, right? You're, you're bolder in how you live. Like you, you make a decision and you said, I'm going to act on this because I, I may not be able to do it next year. I don't know what next year is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And 
I want to understand that a little bit more because I think all of us can learn from that. And I, I say this all the time, like we don't necessarily need to you know, wait for that life-threatening event to happen to us to change the way we live. We can learn from other people's stories. And actually the, the whole process of life planning is to get us more connected with our mortality, get us more connected with what are the things that are really important to us and energize us to take action instead of just wait until something else hits us to, to push us into action. And so I really want to understand that change that you described. So I think, I think just learning time has a different value. Obviously it's, it's irreversible, right? You can't, once you you've lived this minute, it's gone. Once you've lived this hour, it's gone. But for me, it's, it's almost like it's a lot more precious. So as far as feeling like wasting my time, whether it be with a practice that is not in tuned with my vision of how I want to take care of my patients, whether it's with people that are friends or acquaintances that are not necessarily, I'm not saying you always have to get something out of a person, but it at least has to be a support. It has to be something. It has to be something positive, not in a monetary way, but in some way. And I think I, I, in the past, maybe I would have taken a lot on. I would have said, well, it's because they're feeling this way. That's why I would have made a lot of excuses for people. But I realized that, no, that's not necessarily true. And I just feel like I have more, more value for my time. One of the big things that happened my during this time when I finished my chemo and I did go back to work, but my the kids father and I at the time decided to split. And I think it was one of those decisions where I thought, okay, if I'm here for another six months, are we, and we have done everything we possibly can to stay together. Is this really how he deserves to live? And is this really how I deserve to live? Or would it just be better for us to be on good terms and yet not be life partners? And I think that was one of the major decisions that we made or I made at that time, because it would have been just as easy. I think if I hadn't had the cancer, I think I would have just gone along until the kids both graduated high school or God knows what. And I think I just decided that I want to have a part, an active part in how my days pass, my professional life, my personal life. I want to have an, play an active part. I don't want to be a passive participant. I think that was the thing. And I think I realized that, you know what? I can, I can do a lot of these things on my own. I don't need to depend on this person. I can buy a house. I can manage my finances. I can get myself out of student loans or whatever debt there is. I can plan for the future. Wow, what a concept. And I think I feel a lot more empowered, whether part of it was more cultural, where I decided, okay, I'll just let him handle it. But now I feel like, nope, I'm just going to take this class and I'm going to take EBS and I'm going to do this. I'm going to get as much information as I possibly can. And I'll go to people who do this for a living and just learn, learn and do it. 
but just being an active, play an active role in my life, changing the practice, making these decisions. It feels great. Not great when it was right before the pandemic, but it feels great because it's my decision. So it feels great because it was your decision. I, okay. So many great quotes there. <laughs> One is, I don't want to be an, I don't want to be a passive participant in my life. I want to be an active, active participant. And that's, that's such a wonderful concept. And then you said you, you make some of these decisions and some of them aren't really comfortable. A lot of the ones that you've just cited are not comfortable decisions at all, but no. yet you felt like it was the right thing. It was the right, even after you made it, even if right afterwards they had some sort of difficult consequences, you still knew that you were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think all, all of the decisions that I made or we made, I think they were the, yes, I believe they were the right decisions. And just moving forward, my kids or our kids are our priority. So making sure that they are okay, making sure that they are have have all the love that they they need and that they understand that yes, it's possible for two people to love each other but not be the right match for each other. And I think they they have a healthy outlook on that, I believe. Tell me more about your time and your 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 relationship with your kids, because you said one of the things that you were worried about is, for example, you know, not being there for them when they graduate and when they hit certain milestones. And it has been seven years. And I, I think you told me your at least your daughter has graduated. So what was that like? What, what was that? Was that an amazing moment when you were there for her graduation? So I think the most amazing moment was when she graduated from eighth grade and I was there. And of course, my my hair was like maybe not even an inch long at the time. And I just couldn't believe that I'm seeing her graduate from from eighth grade. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And in the beginning, I would have these blood tests to check for the tumor marker every, I think I was doing it every two months. And of course I would do the blood test. And for three days I was, you know, waiting to, to hear the results. And then when it was good, it's like, great, we're good for another couple of months. And now, obviously I never assume, I never assume, but it's a little bit more comfortable. I don't do it as often, maybe once every six months. And of course, seeing her graduate from high school and it was every single day with them is the most amazing experience. Just to know, I I don't forget, it's always in the back of my mind that I am thankful that I have this experience with them. I wake up every morning and I don't think I've forgotten, but one day, first thing that I say when I wake up is thank you for another healthy day. I thank God for another healthy day. I don't forget it because this is my bonus life. I know it. This is my bonus life. So everything I do do with this these days, it's a lot more pressure to do everything I can with these days, but definitely I appreciate it so much. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. I I, I think that's what, what you said about not living passively, living more intentionally, and then just having that gratitude, just waking up and saying, thank you, I'm here. And just to be 
joyful when you see, because I, I'm just trying to think my oldest finished fifth grade last, last year, it was really anticlimactic. And I don't be, I don't remember being jumping up and down with joy, even on the inside when it was finished, it was mundane. And, 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 and to have that realization that, well, I'm here, I was actually there when he graduated. That's, that's such an amazing, such an amazing perspective. And I, I know that I never would wish cancer on anybody ever. My dad is going through cancer right now and it's a never ending thing. And, but yet I really, I I love talking to people who have gone through really trying experience and and just to learn the pearls that, that they've gotten from it it is so inspirational. So thank you so much for for sharing your story, I really hang on to these words and why I love doing podcasts is I just learned so much from my guests. As you may have noticed, like the first few episodes, I was, I was just talking to myself on the podcast and then I started interviewing people and I realized I learned so much more <laughs> interviewing my guests than just talking to myself into you know the microphone. And so I'm just so grateful for the opportunity and, and thank you so much for reaching out to me. And, and you mentioned EBS for our listeners who don't know, Dr. Mitra and I are both in EntreMD Business School, and that's a, an amazing experience. So shout out to Dr. Una, who yeah. actually, yeah. yeah, Dr. Una, and I, you may or may not know this, but she she's the reason why I started this podcast. I was listening to her podcast, and there was an episode where she said, if you know that you should start a podcast, you know who you are, just go start it. <laughs> and I had this moment where I thought, is she talking to me? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So here, here I am. And and if I didn't have a podcast, I wouldn't have this amazing opportunity yeah. to, to speak with you. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to share my story. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot just from the questions that you asked me. It makes mm-hmm. me think and think about the experience and just verbalizing it, you know, is very important. Very important. Thank you so much. And as always, at at the end of the episode, I always want for you as our guest to just share with our listeners, where can they find you? And is there anything that we can do to support what you're doing? So my practice name is Capital I Medical Group. And the website, it's easy to reach. It's www.mitramd.com. And my Instagram is under mitramd3. So I have some posts, videos there. If anybody is in Northern California looking for an ophthalmologist to take care of you and your eyes, come and reach out. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, I wish you the best in what you do with your private practice and in continuing to live your dream life. You got a kickstart in, in doing that and you're, you're going to be inspiring others to do the same thing. Thank you so much working on it. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside.